Welcome back. This is part two of our discussion with Tim Callahan on Drink, Spin, Run. Adam's back with us again, my co-host, looking as lovely as ever, and Tim is back with us. Looking and as shiny as ever. He's oh, shiny. Thank you. Look at you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so shiny. You are. <laughs> You're radiant. I've got the spotlights on me. You really do, yeah. <laughs> if you joined us last week, you know that this week's topic is sci-fi and fantasy in gaming, should they meet? Should they stay separate? Do they belong in the same game? Should they, the never the twain shall meet? That kind of thing. Are they two great tastes that taste great together? Or do they, like, mingle in your mouth like orange juice and toothpaste? Uh, that's what we're here to talk about today. Don, I understand that you, at least at one point, had a very strong opinion on this matter. Um... That might be a bit different from mine or Tim's. I'd like you to go ahead and elucidate there, sir. Thanks for asking me, Adam. And I'll tell you this. It's true. I once was a do-not-get-sci-fi in my fantasy person. What for Don was the big argument that was like, no, these things should never touch? Probably because I had mostly just read fantasy as a teen as a young adult, and even into my 20s. Like, yeah, I had a certain phase where I liked sci-fi. I, you know, had read the classics, but I really preferred fantasy. And mostly I did read just fantasy. Uh, there were a few, man, if I can remember the name of these books I read, where it was like they were walking through an old earth, and they'd come to, like, you know, stoplights or whatever. Oh, it had a dude. What? <laughs> it the Bible. Had yeah, the, Bi the Bible. There are all kinds of stoplights in that one. It's <laughs> oh, it had this, like, weird plant centaur thing. I think it was Dan Simmons. Dan Simmons, does that ring a bell? Oh, yeah, the Hyperion. Yeah, isn't, isn't that kind of a mashup? That's kind of fantasy with sci-fi elements? Yeah, it is. I plan on rereading those. I don't know if I should waste the time. You can tell me now. I remember you're... them being... I read the first one. I thought it was yeah. fine. It was, it was like all these connected little stories with a framing sequence, right? All right. Is that yeah. the deal? Sure. I probably read them <laughs> when I was 13. Like, it's it's a long time ago. I'm pushing... I am 40, so... Yeah. Yeah. No, no longer pushing there. Uh, no, I actually am. So, yeah. I did not want... Uh, you know, I didn't want to see a ray gun in my fantasy world. And somewhere along the line, that just changed. How, why do you think it changed? What do you think is different from you, in you now versus then? Probably because I started reading more Appendix N stuff. And they're, you know, some of them are mixed up. I love Dying Earth. That's a nice mixture of both. DCC Adventures, they can be a mashup. Some of my favorite ones, uh, what's Frozen in Time, mm -hmm. yeah. right, uh, Curtis, yep. yeah, that was done very well, and we'll probably get back to that as we talk more. Well, I, I should start by saying, Don, I used to be like you, 
And <laughs> oh, <laughs> actually, I was time. for probably a real long time. You know, I think there was this idea that I don't know where it entered, like the popular gamer consciousness, but it entered somewhere in the '80s. I'm gonna just draw an imaginary pretend line mm. and say that that's where it started. Uh, I done a lot of thinking about this. While there are plenty of people who say that it really traces back to Tolkien, and maybe it does, I don't care. I think that in popular geek culture, this declination between fantasy and sci-fi, like as two completely separate genres, I, first off, I think it's a it's a false dichotomy. And mm-hmm. uh, second, I think that it happened, it was done deliberately by a very small group of people who worked for a particular gaming company that we're going to talk about, that we've, we've we talk about every week, every time we were on this show. Uh, but I, I think that, um, like, and I just read this part in the, the book that I'm currently reading, Designers and Dragons. Dragonlance. I blame it mm-hmm. on Dragonlance. I think that realistically, the thing is, is that until Dragonlance, all fantasy settings are con- are conceived of, you know, in a, um, in like, at least to some degree, context of the real world, you know? Mm-hmm. And by having a context of the real world, you understand where those fantastic elements fit in as being supernatural, preternatural, science fiction, you know, hyper science, stuff like that. And it's some degree of that or another. I mean, even when you look at Paul Anderson's, you know, straight up high fantasy stuff, those are characters who have seen the real world who then go into the high fantasy setting for the large part. I mean, I'm just thinking of Three Hearts and Three Lions, you know. Yeah. But, you know, that's despite the fact that I couldn't make it through, that is a story about somebody who, you know, comes from the real world and goes into this fantasy. So there is, like, framing, you know, of of the real world. Dragonlance, um, and some people argue with this and say that it's uh, it's Terry Brooks' Shannara. Uh, I don't care because I've never read that. <laughs> but uh, Dragonlance, I think, did a lot of damage to fantasy by cre- erecting this false wall between it and sci-fi. Uh, because it is the first real world that is conceived of, you know, it's the first literary world that's conceived of in the post-D&D era. And I think that it's the first, you know, fantasy series that uses, you know, fantasy as a complete enclosed, encapsulated device. And now, some people are going to disagree with me, and they'll say, like, you know, that that's not true, Adam. Uh, there's all these other people who did it first. And that might be true. I'm going to say, like, in in... in case of like the the popular culture um, or at least popular culture that I myself am aware of that's what I trace it back to it's this imaginary line that got drawn if you look at Greyhawk Greyhawk clearly has fantasy elements in it and we've got White Plume Mountain you know uh, the fact that Blackmore was originally part of Greyhawk <laughs> um, you know and Blackmore had a really strong you know sci-fi basis which I think makes it freaking awesome but that's me and I think that a lot of us labored under this really unfortunate artificial distinction between sci-fi and fantasy for a real long time until we had like a broader scope. And I, I think you're right, Don. I think that it's, it's, it's proper to look at appendix N literature as kind of, you know, going back and being like, dudes, why did you put up this wall that didn't need to be there? You, you could tear this down and have fun with stuff uh, that, you know, that straddles the line or, you know, just get rid of the line altogether. Wow. 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 <laughs> you could not be more wrong. And let me tell you why. Oh. That's awesome. This is great. I, uh, tell me why I'm wrong. I actually do. Uh, obviously, I, I think fantasy and, and, and sci-fi elements go together. I do the mm-hmm. Crawl Jammer zine. But yeah. I do have a different perspective, which I didn't realize until you guys started talking. Uh, and 
I only know of Dragonlance as a thing people hate. Even though I've been <laughs> gaming since the early '80s, I never played a single game in Dragonlance. I don't uh -huh. actually know anyone who did. None of my gamer contemporaries ever did around here anyway. So I only know of Dragonlance as a thing people refer to as being terrible. And I also have looked at it and said, yeah, that's not for me at all. Um, but yet when I was a teenager, I also thought there was something significantly different between fantasy and sci-fi. And so it wasn't from Dragonlance. It must have been something else culturally that said, Fantasy is fantasy and sci-fi is sci-fi and they're separate. But I also have a perspective that goes back to a class I took when I was in high school. In high school, we had, when we were 11th and 12th graders, we had these quarter-long elective classes in English instead of just regular English class. And one of them was this sci-fi course taught by an older teacher who was like near retirement. And so I, he didn't do a lot of teaching, but we read a lot of books and we would kind of be on our own as far as what we thought about them. Uh -huh. But I remember him imparting a little bit of wisdom to us about what sci-fi is. And he talked about sci-fi as a very specific type of literature that was based on speculation and based on scientific fact. And I think it's it's kind of the classic definition of what hard sci-fi is, that it's some kind of real-world scenario and there's one change to the real world, and it's based on science, and this is the repercussion of that one change. Sure. Uh, and he provided that context, but my thinking of fantasy after that fact is that fantasy encompasses everything else. So I think the artificial delineation is why did fantasy stop being about other planets and ray guns and spaceships? It was always about that. That's what fantasy was back in the pulp era. So yeah. why did fantasy stop being about that? And why did fantasy just start being this fake medieval world? Because Star Wars is fantasy. That stuff is fantasy. Absolutely. Flash Gordon is fantasy. It's not sci-fi at Carter all. John Carter is fantasy. No, I'm with you, man. There are no sci-fi elements in those things. It's pure fantasy. Yeah. It's just fantasy that isn't fake medieval fantasy. So I don't know when fantasy stopped being about that alien stuff. I'm not sure when that happened. And I, I, yeah. I think you're probably being a lot more accurate than I'm obviously you're being more accurate than I'm being because, you know, I, I agree that obviously there's some vast difference between John Carter and Starship Troopers. You know what I'm saying? Like there's right. there's like there's a, a huge difference despite the amount of genocide that happens in either book. Um but you know, uh there's there's a vast difference um in, in this the character of what's going on. And I think you're right that well, I don't know that I'd necessarily call those other things fantasy, but I mean, what else do you call them? I mean, is it just adventure fiction? You know, I mean, um... well, I think they're fantasy by the definition of being something that is an imaginary world that cannot exist by physical laws. Whereas something like Starship Troopers says, okay, if we had, yeah, if we lived in the future and we had knowing what we know now about the way warfare is conducted, and we had the technology to continue to fight wars in alien worlds this is what it would be like. This is a pretty realistic version of that scenario. Whereas something like the Edgar Rice Burroughs Barsoom novels are just, they could take place in any fictional world. It doesn't have to be something that's based on any kind of pseudoscience. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, I, I just think fantasy is an imaginary world and that's, it's, that's all it is. And that can be a sci-fi-ish world, but it's still, yeah. I mean, I think... Yeah, I think you uh I think you are the best person we could have had on this show because <laughs> you just rocked my world there. Did I a little like, bit? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah totally. That like was good, man. because 
Adam and I, uh, you know, we play this game on Tuesday nights. We have a little chat group for it. And I actually, I made him rage quit for a day when he <laughs> thought I was being difficult. And I really wasn't. I was like, well, wait a minute. What's the difference between taking, you know, having your setting, going to another planet? Is it sci-fi if it's by rocket? And is it fantasy if it's by spell? Like, right. is that... But I think your kind of breakdown... It's all fantasy, it's, man. It's, just, it's, just, it's, it's all, all fantasy, fantasy. Unless it's hard, speculative sci-fi. See, yeah. for me, I just, you know, I just don't even, you know, I, I don't want to draw a distinction there, you know? Like, I just, right. I just want to say, you know, I guess I take it a little bit more, you know, phenomenologically, and I just be like, what's it like, you know? Uh, right. <laughs> what's it like to, um, you know, to experience these kind of elements? And that's what it is. Whatever it's like, that's what it is, you know? And that is perhaps... A less helpful distinction. <laughs> right. what it, it is what it is, man. Yeah, uh, and that's the you know. I mean, but let me ask you this question though, because this is kind of something that I that I don't know the answer to. Love if it. you were running a game in a token esque world, which is a very kind of hermetically sealed world mm -hmm. that has certain internal logic and certain internal properties, wouldn't you, as a player, if you were playing in that world, wouldn't you be not upset, but you'd be uncomfortable if all of a sudden robots appeared or there was an underground bunker that had computers in it. Wouldn't well, that be unsettling in a way yeah. that would break the fictional reality of the world? And isn't that the problem that people tend to have I, with I, the juxtaposition? Yeah. I, I think yeah. that that is, that is uh, for many people, jarring. Um, and I, I think that that bothers a lot of folks. The, the guy who was going to be here, I know that was a point that he was going to be making against my concept that it's all one. Um, but uh, for me, it would not be, um, but that's me, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. I know that some people, but of course, I don't enjoy those kind of settings in the first place, so I'd be looking for an opportunity for things to get weird. But yeah, that's, that's kind of how I feel too. But but I feel like I, I'm in, one of the games I play in is this Role Master game that's been Ooh. going on for a couple years. Wow. And Role Master is definitely old school. Yeah. Uh, and... The guy who runs it is this theatrical dude who is actually an, an actor and a director. And so he comes at it from the, the kind of character point of view. Yeah. But he also comes at it from a 1970s perspective because that's when he started playing. He runs it as a pretty traditional Greyhawk setting fantasy world. And I would get the feeling that if he all of a sudden started throwing robots and computers in it, it would almost feel like he is just starting to goof around. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the world loses some of its integrity. Right. Even well, if I that suppose, weren't true. You know, if there's an established integrity to besmirch, then that might do it. But, you know, um, I, I could see that happening. But there'd have to be an establishment of that, you know, I, I think. Um, yeah. But that does bring us to the point like, uh, why is the standard fantasy this you know medievalist fantasy you know right that, i don't that, understand I don't, that and i don't nor, either I, I, I don't I, get the appeal I, but i i don't know when that i guess it happened because tolkien became popular in the 70s along with D and yeah. kind of the the people who ran D D maybe i don't know wanted wanted to narrow it down i guess it's the same mentality that wants to know the rules. And so they want to be able to quantify everything and they want to know the stats of every monster. And they, and so they want to narrow down the world instead of allow Broaden things it. to yeah. be yeah, loose and, and free form. And that mentality may be mixed with the fact that in the late 70s and 80s, 
there were a lot of movies that kind of had that renaissance fair fantasy vibe and that and that maybe perpetuated that genre and then there was things like the terry brooks novels as you say yeah and then if you went to the bookstore you had all these fantasy novels that were basically the same setting with right. characters who had funny names and there were elves and there were dwarves and I, I guess that sort of solidified because things became popular and then you could cash in on it and then you could do your own ripoff on it and it just kind of continued that way so demonic marketing got it all right uh. Yeah, it's the man, really. It's, it's the man, Barnes and Noble. The man, Walden us books. down again, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah. I mean, I think it's just Tolkien, right? I mean, the elves. Well, I, in... I think traditionally, yeah. You know, if you look at any of the appendix and authors, the only one who I think skirts that line is Tolkien. You know, I, the I only think so one too. Who, do, who doesn't, you know, have any kind of like, like. Um, Unless you like, I guess sci-fi um, element to it is Tolkien, you know. Well, unless you're going with like Lord Dunsany or something, which is re- like the fairy tale-ish kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's about it. Don, which I mean, <laughs> yeah, wasn't wasn't that kind of what Tolkien kind of riffed on? Like, yeah, that? I think and, that's part of the same tradition. On. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what? Everything makes sense, Don. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. I'm the one with the box of wine. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. So my problem. With I do have a problem with having a Tolkieny world. Let's call it. Let's call it medievalist, right? Yeah. Is that right? Uh, and robots jumping out is if the DM says, "Oh my God!" and robots jump out. It breaks my immersion. And Adam's heard all this before. I'm fine with sci-fi in my games, in my fantasy games, if it makes sense, if it jives with the setting. If it's presented as your characters have never seen this shit before, they wouldn't say robot. Like the DM should yeah. say, and these automaton right. suits of armors jump yeah. up. Well, and, and that's something that you and I were part of a conversation of uh, in, earlier today, Don, or at least something similar. When I was telling Ray, he was asking questions, and I said, explain what it's like. And this is more, again, the phenomenologist in me. Um, I, I am not going to tell you that you're facing seven orcs and blah, blah, blah. I want to tell right. you what it's like to have these guys coming at you. I don't care if it's orcs. I don't care if it's robots. I don't care if it's, I don't know, guys on bicycles with, you know, demon heads. I mean, just whatever. It's it's going to be, I'm, I'm ex- going to explain it in terms of what the experiential data is like to you. And uh, that, I think, is much more compelling than being like, oh, my God, it's robots, you know? Right. Um, every once in a while, oh, my God, it's robots is fun. But um, I don't think it, it it's sustainable. What about this, though? I'm thinking, you know, as you guys are talking about that. So mm-hmm. if you're in the, uh, the Tolkien-esque world and the robots pop out, whether you describe them as being automatons or, or warforged or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. them, yeah. uh, it, you know, you can kind of sell it and you can make it seem like it fits in the context and you can make it weird but still kind of believable. Mm-hmm. But what if it were like a businessman in a suit or what if it were a guy from 2014 right what if it were a content what if it were a clown on a bicycle uh or a motorcycle are there things that you think well that just is ridiculous so it's not a sci-fi intrusion right. it's a real world intrusion because that... to me to me that's more jarring actually yeah that like, is like the so, shit i hate so real that it's dissonant yeah yeah i understand i i, I and however much i however much i thrive on dissonance i think that's the wrong kind because it's not interesting 
I think it's just like it's just like, dude, things are weird, you know, and without right. them having a, an interesting reason to be weird, you know. Um, I I love weird, but you know, I want things to have a good reason to be weird, and I mean, yeah. actually be I, weird, not just lazy clowns <laughs> on bicycles like that. Like you can do some weird shit. I mean, I would pull from horror. And I would be weird that way. Like, I hate modern day stuff just popping up like that. It just ruins it for me. I don't want to talk about Adam's style of DMing here. <laughs> but everyone... <laughs> uh, I did, I will I will cop to the fact that I put something in an adventure that made uh, two of my three players at the time very uneasy. And uh, because, and it was that it was jarring, and it was that it was based in something like the real world, but it was very different. And this is kind of like the uh, my heavy David Lynch influence, like playing out, very heavy David Lynch influence playing in mm-hmm. there. And it was, uh, it kind of made them angry. So, <laughs> uh, well, have you guys ever played or or read uh, Shadowbrook Manor? Are you familiar sounds, with that? It sounds familiar. familiar. It's a. It was published for the Labyrinth Lord system. I forgot who the writer is, but it's basically. Uh, it's kind of like a, a U1 module. It's like a haunted house module, uh-huh. except basically the the kind of premise, the hook, and it and it works in this way. It's pretty cool as a hook. Is that one of your characters in the game just gets this deed for this manor or, or inherits this manor, and then they go check it out, and it's filled with all kinds of crazy stuff. Okay, that's mm-hmm. fine, but. It has all these meta references in it. So there's a room where you open the door and you actually see yourself rolling dice and playing the game. But you can't do anything about it. And then you get to the basement of the room and there's this machine. And if you destroy the machine, you're destroying the plot machine. And it's just like it's that kind of stuff mixed in with a relatively cool haunted house thing. And I, like that stuff to me is just it's trying so hard. It's not funny. It's not interesting. It's just, it just it it seems just sad and pathetic to me. I don't like that part. Yeah. I'm going to say that uh, let's, let's let's take this back to the conversation we had a little bit ago or a, a branch of the conversation. We talked about like game expectations and um uh I think that that works fine. If you're expecting, uh, you know, humor works fine in a game if it's expected, you know? Right. Um, Tune is an awesome game. Uh, it is an amazing game system that uh, I'll play the hell out of. But uh, it, it does rely on writing some humor in. I think most game systems, I would never bother writing humor into it because players are going to do that on their own. You know, I don't need to make it funny because they're doing it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, the expectations yeah. met, uh, for example, Catastrophe Island at Gen Con. Right? <laughs> so, Catastrophe Island, by its nature, you knew that anything could happen. I mean, if, yeah. if clowns on bicycles showed up in Catastrophe Island, that would not be jarring. Right. Right? Par for the course. Because that yeah. was part of that world. Uh, but if it were... Fish wizards, Tim. <laughs> Fish wizards with hats and psychic powers. I mean, if they showed up, Laser eyes! Laser eyes! Tim was uh, one of the ghosts that possessed a fish wizard and then uh, teamed up with the other fish wizard played by Gabriel Perez-Gachardi. Oh, man, the, it was yeah. pretty nice. amazing. Nice. It, was pretty it, was, it was worth the drive to Gen Con just for that moment. <laughs> that was my favorite night of Catastrophe oh, yeah. Island. That was, oh, me that too. Was a blast. Great. But that that works. Whereas if it was the Seven Pits of Cesarecon and that stuff happened after Harley had already established that world, which was mm-hmm. a crazy, dangerous world, 
it's it's jarring. No. So yeah. Yeah. it's yeah. it's all in in the initial context. Mm-hmm. Right. The well, whole... it's like you know, and and uh, even TSR did that. You know, um, look at Castle Greyhawk. Oh yeah, that's embarrassing. Worst. I mean, that's so bad. Uh, it's the Looney Tunes it, version of Greyhawk for no reason. It, it doesn't for no have reason. Any... Yeah. And and almost insultingly titled. You yeah. know, Castle oh, Greyhawk. it is. Yeah, it's like, hey, we're gonna it's piss a... on Gary right now. Oh, <laughs> you know, snap in the back. Uh, we because I mean, we've been expecting it for so long as players, and then what we got was, you know, a steaming pile of crap, and yep. uh, that's <laughs> it. Definitely screwed with our expectations. Um, so yeah, I would say yes. We all agree then that uh, that it the degree to which shit gets weird um, ma- should match the expectations, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it goes back to the whole player contract thing, right? I mean... And you want to like, push the edges of it, but... Yeah, yeah, but not not in the direction they don't want to go. I mean, I always talk about what you guys want to see, you know, before I start a campaign up. What do you guys want to do? What do you want to see? I don't see, know. See, I do it the other way, typically. I'll be like, hey, this is what I'm thinking of. What do you guys right. think about that? And then uh, from there, that's when you know I collect ideas and we and we rock it out. Um, like with the Iron Coast thing, I said, "Here's the deal: it's X, so it's going to be about building um, building a, com- a, a a nation. And uh, here's the space you're going to do it in. Uh, where do you guys? How do you guys want to go about that? You know, how do you want to be aligned? How do you want right. to? You know, are we coming out of a lawful place? We're we coming out of a chaotic place. Oh, you want to be in the pirate town? Okay, no problem. Let's let's work with that. And um, you know, the the metal gods too. I mean, the metal gods was very much Edgar threw up this post, uh, this invitation to a bunch of players, and it was pretty awesome. Uh, and uh, if that resonated with you, you said yes, I want to be in this game. And that's we've stayed pretty true to those core principles for two years, which is pretty awesome. Um, and I, I think a wise DM does that with any game that he's starting up. But I, mm-hmm. I try to put it more on my side. This is what I'm looking at doing. Um, who's interested? Unless you know, hey guys, what do you want to play? You know, I mean, not. Right. I'm sorry, I made that sound bad. But <laughs> hey guys, what do you want to play? Is is a valid way to go about it? You know, I mean, if right. you're especially if you're open to doing things, I just get yeah. like really excited about an idea. I'm like, I want to run this thing. Who wants to do mm-hmm. it with me? And yeah. uh, you know, I look at it from the other side. I've never, uh, I've never, d- I've done it one time where I'm like, hey guys, what do you want to play? Uh, otherwise, I don't even really do the. This is what I'm playing. I just run something. And people either show up or don't, and that's that's it. And I think, but I think they go based on the the system, right? So if it's Dungeon Crawl Classics, they have a sense of what it is. People who know me know Crawl Jammer now, so they kind of have a sense of what it is. When I run the games at school, the kids don't care. I could run anything; they wouldn't <laughs> right. care. They they just go with it. Uh, but the one time I did the thing Don was talking about was when I ran a game of Fate at school, and I said, "Hey, you know, I I kind of want to try Fate and." Who wants to join me? Let's figure out what we want to play together. And that's kind of the way Fate, I guess, is supposed to be run if you're doing mm-hmm. a, starting from scratch. Hey, what genre do we want it to be? What are the, the, the limits and where are we going? Uh, and that was a horrible disaster. It was the worst game I've ever run. The kids <laughs> the kids didn't want to quit, but after like four sessions, I was like, can we just stop? And they were like, okay. And then a week later, they're like, oh, I'm glad we stopped because that was pretty bad. So it just didn't uh, go. It, it ended up being this post-apocalyptic thing. It had too many, awesome. we did the too many details. And it was awful. It was terrible. 
it was yes. it was it was directionless. Even though I gave it a direction based on the first couple of adventures, oh, it, it was just terrible. I hate. Like I don't I, know I guess how the to fate run system fate is if it's good. not a railroad, you know. Like, I don't either. Like it doesn't make sense to me, and I'm sure that you know what I'm going to put the plea out right now to anybody who bothers to listen to this. If you can run fate and it doesn't suck and it's not a railroad, <laughs> I want you to run it for me and Don and maybe Tim <laughs> and so me. that I'm we in. can learn from you because well, I I want it to not suck because I love I love the way it's written because I love the idea of like taking natural language and turning that into game rules with like just like that you know that's fantastic but the only way I can see it ever working is if there's constant drama and if there's you know there has to be like constant you know tension things always have to be about to break and 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 violence erupt or like somebody dies or somebody goes to jail or someone's you know having someone's baby or yeah I don't know like like some kind of like constant serious drama. That is the only way that I can see fate ever working, and that doesn't make sense to me, you know? To, well, to play I, that I've game. been in, in two fate games that were good. Okay, I ran one that was terrible. Uh, I, I was in a Dresden Files game. <laughs> and yet it was good. Wow. <laughs> but it was, it was really good, uh, and it was run by this woman, Glenda, who's a, who's a local nurse who runs some games around here once in a while. It didn't really use the fate rules at all. Okay. We only rolled dice a couple times over like six sessions. It was almost purely role playing, but it was really fun. And I played an asshole college professor slash sorcerer, so I just got to be an asshole college professor and talk about mm-hmm. literature and basically try to solve this mystery. But I didn't really know what I was doing, so it was just it was just a cool role playing experience. The other game that I played and actually was the reason I missed the final night of Catastrophe Island. Because I was supposed to play in my friend Sarah's Apocalypse World game. That was filled up. So I played in Lowell Francis's Fate game. And Lowell Francis is a great game master. He is, is he? amazing. Okay. And he ran his version of Fate. He actually had cards made. And I believe he used like RPG Now's card creation, like the mm-hmm. print on demand card mm-hmm. thing. So he ran his own version of Fate. That didn't use any of the language, the fate terminology. It just used a deck of cards instead of the dice to resolve encounters. But it was basically a D&D adventure that was kind of a meta-textual D&D adventure. It was good. It was. It, it made a lot of sense, and I'm not going to explain the whole thing now. But it was good. It wasn't jokey and ridiculous. It, it was. It was just a good exploration of a D&D type world that just happened to use certain encounter resolution mechanics from fate but that was also excellent but i've never actually been in a game where they've run fate where they use the terminology and you have to kind of have your your specific names for your different powers and all that stuff that seems to be such the core of fate i've never seen it Hmm. so there's your challenge listeners yeah run fate for real yeah do fate make me watch it (laughs) and not hate what happens uh (laughs) No, I, and... I, I, I make it sound like I'm a jerk, or like when I, mean, I am a jerk. But I mean, I I don't want to be no, skeptical fate about is it. The I'm jerk. actually really excited because I think it's a great fate idea. It's a great jerk. system. Um, I just want it. I just, yeah, we we just I can't run know it. How it does it? The, its well, thing, you know. My problem with it is, I'm such a, a AD and D, you know, DCC guy <laughs> that that when I run a game, it's a game about exploration and fate mm-hmm. is not a game about exploration fate is a game about interaction but i i'm like what what are they interacting for what what are they trying to find out and so i just have a hard time not running an exploration style game i think yeah that actually makes sense i think that was maybe i our think that problem. was probably our fault our problem yeah, yeah, is yeah. That we were doing an exploration based game yeah. yeah that's a fascinating insight 
Well, I think we've run out our time on our conversation about fantasy and sci-fi yeah. and games. And I think yeah. we kind of agreed that some elements from sci-fi can make their way into fantasy, but really what we largely regard as like the mingling of sci-fi and fantasy is really just another kind of fantasy. That for oh, some fantasy. reason, we just, you know, a, a particular period in our past put up a wall and said, you know, we don't get these elements. Um, mm -hmm. And everybody here, or all three of us, kind of, you know, just, we all dig those elements, right? Is that an, a fair assessment? Yeah, and, I do. And uh, uh, we, we would largely chalk up any kind of wall, you know, to the expectations of, you know, of players and DMs in those particular, uh, in, in any particular game. Was that, does that sound like that's where we came from and where we get, went to? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I'm so, going to sum it up as it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Do what's fun. Because <laughs> it's all the same, man. Do what's it's fun all, for you. It's all one thing. I, don't, I, 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 I do believe that it's a false dichotomy, but that's me. Um, <laughs> and so I'd like to move on to our third rail of the OSR. Oh, oh I'm ready for this. Okay. I don't know what it is. So I'm going to start with you, Tim, because you're ready for this. Okay, I'm not and ready. And Don's going to laugh when he hears this question. <laughs> Armor class. Ascending yeah. or descending? I like ascending for actual gameplay. I like descending for the history of it, but it doesn't really make any sense. What do you mean it doesn't make <laughs> sense? Or what do you think well, doesn't make sense? It, there's all all you gain by descending armor class is having to reference a chart. That's all you gain, which has a kind of literary quality to it. It it. it redirects the game from being a cinematic experience to being a more literary experience because you have to reference this chart in this dusty old tome and it, it kind of slows down the game a little bit and makes it more reflective and and it just brings back that feeling of you're playing this old antique thing yeah. which i do like but mm -hmm. there's no gain when you could just flip the numbers and then all of a sudden you have an easy target number that it, everybody knows and it speeds up the game i think um you know, because I grew up in the second edition era primarily, uh, where Thacko was the thing, you know, and Thacko mm -hmm. math was just right. bam, 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 in and out. Uh, I've always done Thacko math. Even even with all the tables, you can still do mm -hmm. Thacko math, and it's freaking easy. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and that's just, that's where I've always come to it from. Um, Don, ascending or descending? Um, uh, my, my answer is ascending, and it's just for the... I, I like Tim's, though, because I have mostly played AD&D, so I'm used to the chart. I kind of like looking it up. But if I ever play any old game with Descending, I'm probably going to make it Ascending just because it's easy to explain to people. You, why did you end on that note? Because you, know <laughs> you, you know that I disagree with that. But <laughs> Right, but you're actually but, uh, wrong. Like, well, well it know, is easier because, to explain, but... Yeah. It uh, is. It, that doesn't make any sense to me. That's like that doesn't. I I can't fathom why somehow addition is easier than subtraction. Well, I don't it's not get addition. It it's because just, it's, it's the just same this number. Freaking mathematical process, right. just in reverse. That me... I don't understand. But that's that's also you know the logician in me. You know, like being like it's the same thing. But that's my answer. Is they're the same thing, and it doesn't <laughs> but, freaking matter. Right. Um, that having been said. I do 
often play games that have ascending uh, ascending armor class, and I got no problem with that. That tends mm-hmm. to be here's the thing: is you get less friction with ascending than with descending. Right. There's less right. because people, uh, for some reason that I don't understand, people do think addition is easier. It's not. It's just as hard as subtraction. No, but it's not just addition, though, because if you have ascending armor class, it's just addition plus a target number. It's just one thing. Yeah. If descending armor class, you have the addition to add your modifiers, and then you have subtraction to figure out the Thaco. Have you played so it's going Adventure, both ways. Have you played Adventure Conqueror King? I have not. They have... All right. That game has the screwiest armor class system. Yeah. Uh, because it's ascending... But you've got a target to hit armor class zero. But the thing is, is it's ascending, so zero is the worst armor class. So you've got to add their armor class to your number, and it's like it's it's even more backwards than descending armor class. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that realistically, mathematically, they're about the same from my mm-hmm. point of view. I don't care. It seems to be easier for players a lot of the times to do, for some reason, to do ascending. So if that's what it is, and that happens to be what DCC uses, ascending. Yeah. So, you know, that's like, pretty convenient. oh, that's what I'm going to use anyway, right? So let's go forward with that. Yeah, it is but easier for the players. Even when it comes down to, like, you know, like, say, Labyrinth Lord on Tuesday night, we're playing Labyrinth Lord. I'm just memorizing, I'm, I'm memorizing Thacos for things, and I'm just like, bam, 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 that's how it is, you right. know, because that's easy you know i don't understand using all those tables uh because the math is obvious yeah i think yeah you know when you do uh like astonishing swordsmen and sorcerers you have to reference the table based on the fighting ability of the character i have that table right in front of me right now it's uh, so yeah it's just easier to look at the table than do the math you have to do the fighting ability and figure out what the thaco would be for that fighting ability and then do it's just however to look at the table well there's yeah um unless you know that at fighting ability i mean yeah you're right i mean otherwise (laughs) you have to remember stuff but it's it's simple it's it's simple math that you if you just know one thing you can go know another number you don't need the chart so like listen, if I listen, know that I'm fighting a dungeon... ability three, if I'm fighting armor class zero, I got to hit a seventeen or better. Like no, no, no. you could you could use the Thaco for the, any armor class or fighting uh, ability. I'm a dungeon master. I ain't got time for math. That's my T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you like because mine would be more like uh, I'm a dungeon master. My world is math. You know. I, I do. Know. I do got time for math. That's all yeah. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're trying to wield a story and separate stories and make it all. You're like knitting stories it's like together. Math is hard or something come on guys. no what it's you, not like, are you a guys a barbie from the 60s or something i mean seriously math is hard <laughs> <laughs> you know you know what the end uh the the takeaway is it doesn't matter it doesn't matter that's <laughs> it's exactly it's all the one thing it doesn't it's all freaking one thing. matter play what you like i don't care do, do what's good for you yeah <laughs> i just want it's 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 a them's fighting words kind of topic right so yeah it does seem to be Mr. Tim Callahan, thank you for joining us tonight. Oh, thanks, guys. Uh, I hope, it was I a hope, blast. I hope you've had as good of a time being here as we've had having you here, um, and we'd love to have you back any time. Um, I don't know what we're talking about next time, so I don't know if it'll be yeah, a no, about no. But it was, but you were, you were perfect. <laughs> you, uh, you were perfect, man. That's you what were you on your resume now. Like these you guys, were the gem, perfect. Yeah, you were the right. gem, and you fit right in the pommel of our podcast sword. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Let's, Whoa. Pommel <laughs> shafts. Let's leave the fit out of this conversation. Perfect. Tim. Uh, I, uh, 
That's it. Tonight I'm I'm done from last night. That's oh fun. man. Listen, that box of wine it's did not drink itself. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Filling up again. Oh man. <laughs> 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 oh. And the, and the... <laughs> Oh, All right. Oh, this is getting worse. All right, Don, yeah. I'm going to let you yeah. finish up everything. Um, yeah. So, Jim. thanks. Oh. Are you actually going to let me finish up? <laughs> I mean, I think I think we said our, goodbye, our goodbyes, our goodnights. Uh, thanks again, Tim. And thank you, you gorgeous listeners. <laughs> they are That's gorgeous. the proper address, form of address for listeners. <laughs> you gorgeous listeners. You gorgeous listeners. You had some bad Looking good out there, kids. <laughs> Stay sexy. <laughs> Stay sexy. And keep on listening to Drink, Spin, Run. With Don Stroud and Adam Muscovich. And sometimes Tim, oh, and a special guest. <laughs> I'm, I'm still here. <laughs>